In this episode, Tony and Ted have a fascinating conversation with author Jane Newman about art's relation to dark money, among other things. Check it out and enjoy. And as always, don't forget, Treckle, T-R-E-K-E-L-L, is available for all of your art supply needs. Treckle.com, T-R-E-K-E-L-L. Good, hi. Hi, how you doing? Jay, Jay, Tony, Tony, Jay. Hi, Tony, Jay. Hi. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Pleasure to meet you. Yeah, I've heard so much about you. Uh, same here. Same here. Oh, wow. Your studio. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It's a complete disaster right now. I just taught a workshop uh, a week and a half ago, and then as soon as it was done, my wife and daughter got the flu, so I was taking care of them, and then a day later, I had to jump on a plane to go uh may do a speech in new york and i just got back at 2 30 last night a speech at salma gundy at the salma gundy <laughs> club yeah oh awesome i was in the airport for 14 hours <laughs> what waiting for because planes were canceled or planes were canceled and i you know i was on a standby flight so they kept on uh they kept on pushing me to the next one i got on i got on the last seat of the last plane out and the only reason i got on is because somebody got like sick or and didn't show or something like that and they left and they're like you want it i was like yes because i was just about to i was trying to figure out how i was gonna where i was gonna stay last night but uh i got home at and then i got home at about three three in the morning it was fantastic yeah just great Domestic travel. So yes, uh, I, I apologize I for the mess behind me. I never, I didn't break no, down. I hope anything. you got ten hours of sleep in the meantime. I got uh, about four hours of sleep because I my my kids got me up this morning pretty early. So hey, <laughs> it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, thank you for 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 taking the time out to jump yeah. on and just chat with us a little bit. Glad we can finally get around to it. Um, yeah. Maybe we'll just get get going. Welcome to Suggested Donation. Sure. I'm Edward Minoff. I'm Tony Sir and I. And we are joined by author Jay Newman, whose book Under Money is, is out now. Uh, and we've been talking about this since before the book was released, but we finally all get together. Yeah. So thanks for joining us, Jay. Oh, it, it's uh, it's my pleasure. I listen to you guys for for years now, and uh, it's exciting to be here. Oh wow, that's great. Oh well, it's so great because uh, Ted was ta- ta- uh, was telling me about this book, which I have I have my copy right here. Uh, Excellent. Yeah, a while back, and I mean, it was within a sentence. I was fascinated by it, and and even the title itself was something that is just immediately strikes a curiosity what is what does the title under money even mean well the um the origin of under of the actual word by the way i, I want to claim um credit for the introduction of the word under money it's your word it, right it's well uh, yes and no <laughs> it, is, it is my word as far as it's being introduced into the english language but where it came from is that one of my sons was living uh, in Japan, and uh, he met a restaurateur there. 
and the restaurant was he was opening a place in in New York in the East Village, and we took him out to dinner. Uh, and I asked him if there's any difference between opening a restaurant in in Tokyo and in New York. And he rubbed his fingers together, shook his head no, you know the money sign, uh-huh. and shoved, shoved them under the under the table, uh, and said under money. Oh, like under the table money. Like under the table money. And so I defined, I, you know, I defined it in the beginning of the book as money that's unseen, uh, that, but that influences people and events. Uh, and it's, um, it's my hope that when people read things or see things they don't understand, they will realize that the answer is usually under money. So if you're seeing, you know, no matter what it is, if it's, you know, some sort of uh, uh, political action or business action or social interaction, because under money is is everywhere all the time. Uh, and so that's the that's the origin of the term under money. Would it could you say that it almost is similar to the idea of like the what is it, like the dark web? Or, no, dark money. Like dark, Very, it's something similar in that same exactly like dark money. The uh, the New York Times did that great um, kind of investigative piece a few weeks ago, where they um, they analyzed the the dark money uh, on both sides of the political spectrum. So the the groups that are collecting it for so called issue um, you know issue advertising and uh, issue action on the left and on the right, and they found that just in a cursory examination, uh, the Democrats had a pool of a billion two that Republicans had were a little behind them with a billion. Um, but the, their point was that they, they just kind of were beginning to peel back the onion on this. And the thing about the dark money is that the organizations that are collecting it uh, are nominally charitable organizations. They're, some of them are 501c3s, so people even take uh, deductions, tax deductions, for what is purported to be public service announcements, but is really completely political because the public service is always pointing out in a given election cycle, you know, the, 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 the good things that their candidate are, are, are doing and the bad things that their opponent are doing. Yeah. So What's that is that? Classic, classic under money because you don't know where it came from. You don't know whose it is. It's like anonymous lobbying. Exactly like anonymous lobbying. It's um, it's kind of grotesque. And that's one of the obviously one of the themes in the book. Um, there's also a lot of art in the book. And I know, you know, you're generally interested in art and, and possibly even writing about art. <laughs> um, and I, I kind of wanted to discuss the role of art that art plays in 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 under money, because it's uh, I think that from my reading, there are kind of two things. One is your own kind of views on art and the art world, which I think uh, are kind of peppered throughout throughout the book. And then I think the other thing is you're using art to kind of humanize some of your characters, but also to, uh, it seems, sort of um, discuss the relationship between art and money. And one of your characters, Gonzaga, is descended from the Medici's, and you sort of talk about the Medici's as uh, you know maybe just the most ruthless people at at the time. <laughs> and it you know, and then you've got 
you know, a book full of ruthless characters who are kind of the new Medici's. So I was curious to know your thoughts both on, on both of those aspects of the way you're using art in the book. Yeah, no, you, you um, it's exactly, exactly what I was trying to, to deal with. Art is, um, so art has always been, um, you know, a, the province of, if you will, the, the, the wealthy, mm-hmm. uh, the, the collectors, the Medici's, the, the modern Medici's, um, and, um, but the 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 kind of the the cognitive dissonance that I was trying to introduce into the book um, relates to what you pointed out, which is that these are these are the characters in this book are uh, in many ways patriotic. I mean, their their goals are you know their the ends that they seek to achieve, which are you know to create a more inclusive and less divisive uh, country, are laudable. But they fall into league with some, uh, some, uh, you know, some of the worst people on the planet, a corrupt hedge fund and a guy that actually is modeled on uh, a, a character, a real life character who is uh, running a private military company for Putin as we speak. Uh, and all these characters, all these people um, love art. They're they're um, they're they, they love looking at it. They love collecting it. I think the worst guy in the book, uh, this guy Theodore Volk, who's modeled on a you know a, a real life um, mercenary, Reppin, uh, is a, co- a collector. <laughs> Actually, and Reppin was introduced um, thanks to you, Ted. Um, I would honestly not have known about Reppin, uh, but for you, uh, and Reppin becomes an important character in the book. Um, and this guy is a you know, a, an aficionado and, uh, you know, and he's a collector of repin. In fact, he even muses that maybe the, the, the repins that are, you know, in Russian state museums aren't real <laughs> and they're copies and he's got real ones. <laughs> Do you have any inside knowledge of the, uh, the real mercenary and his ownership of real repins? I have no reason to believe that he cares about art at all. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I thought that the this this dissonance between people who are are cultured and sophisticated and and um, uh, and erudite and sociopaths uh, are sociopaths. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I think that you know that and and a lot of a lot of what I'm trying to deal with is this is the accumulation of wealth and the vast wealth that we've seen concentrated in the last 20 years. So we, we live in a world uh, now where uh, of, of billionaires and nothing and, and no one else matters but this class of billionaires. And I think of it like um, Greek mythology. I think that there, you know, we live in a world where, you know, billionaires on the, you know, on both ends of the political spectrum are, you know, on Mount Olympus and they're hurling billion-dollar thunderbolts down to the rest of us, <laughs> uh, trying to trying to get politicians to do their bidding and trying to influence how we think about the world. And um, just the most recent is, um, I mean, we have Jeff Bezos owning the Washington Post. We have now Elon Musk um, uh, bidding for Twitter. Twitter. Uh, we have, you know, um, Zuckerberg uh, owning um uh, Facebook and and making decisions and Instagram uh, 
and Instagram. Just huge. Uh, so these all all of our you know ways to communicate are controlled, really controlled by very very wealthy people. Um, and these people are also art collectors. They're they're collectors of kind of art mostly that you know I I don't have much. Um, uh, Patience for yeah. Uh, what, well, kind makes, is, what, what kind of art, art is that? <laughs> and it makes an appearance in the book that that kind of art, and you you make it clear. Well, <laughs> I've been well schooled by the GCA <laughs> yeah, and many hours of conversation with you, Ted, and with uh, you know Jacob. Um, um, but it's it's contemporary uh, art. It's the you know art of uh, uh, Jeff Koons and. Um, <laughs> in Hearst, you know, call it art if you will, but um, it's, but it's, and, and actually in the sequel to Undermoney, I deal with the art market in a much more aggressive way, because I think it's completely corrupt. Yeah. Um, and the other, the other thing that um, is dealt with in the book is the use of art as a, uh, a currency and a currency of corruption, because if you're, and this, I think explains um, some of the, the high prices for particular categories of art, because it's quite portable. Uh, you can you can take a uh, uh, you know, real or unreal the uh, the Salvador Mundi right. You can take uh, a, a small painting that you can fit under your arm, uh, put it in a box, put it on your private plane, and then bring it to Geneva and put it in your vault. The Freeport, uh, free the the Freeport, which you know is something else that um, we deal with in the in the book. But so can you our, explain? Our, can you explain the Freeport? Uh, Freeport, because that's pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah, so Freeports are um, they're they're basically so I'll describe the one in, in Switzerland that um, that I've I've made into a character, which is that if you imagine you fly into um, Geneva and you don't even go through customs, you just pull up to this building at the edge of the airport, which is technically. It's in Switzerland, but it's really not. Uh, and what it is, is a, an enormous warehouse uh, that is full of very secure vaults. And inside the vaults, you can have art galleries. You could have um, safes with weapons. You could have safes with, um, with gold, with jewels. Uh, but it's a, it's the perfect place to stash stuff you might need. And if I'm if if I'm a, an oligarch, I mean Switzerland has become a little bit problematic. But there are lots of free, free ports all around the world. If I'm a Russian oligarch, um, I you know I've probably got um, vaults and free ports um, in many countries with uh, with paintings, with uh, gold bars, with uh, bags of diamonds. Uh, with some weapons and with all all the things I might need to survive for a long time uh, if I were under attack as oligarchs are today um, by you know most of the in the Western world. Um, so free ports are the idea is that they exist outside of you don't have to take things into a country and move them out of a country. you can uh, they're kind of in I don't know how to even describe it, international, free space. Uh, and they're, they're very useful. Historically, they were created to do things like manufacturing at the border of Mexico and the US. So you can move property, you know, uh, you can move parts in and out and use workers on both sides of the, uh, of the border. Um, but there are 
hundreds of them around the world. There are dozens in the U.S., dozens of free ports in the U.S. Wow. The um, politics today are driven by this very big money and this very dark money. Um, it's uh, and because politicians, we've got a, a professional class of politicians uh, that have one goal, which is to um, get themselves reelected. Uh, they're, they, they love their jobs and they want to keep them. Uh, so how do they keep them? They need money. They need big money. Um, and they also need help keeping um, other people out of the game. So they need, you know, need to make sure that other people who might compete with them aren't getting money from the billionaire class. Um, and as someone who used to, as I used to, past tense, give money to political candidates, I no longer do that because I, I feel I have lost the ability with my small contributions to influence anything at all. Because the, the, the size of the checks that are being written to politicians, pretty much at all levels, once you get above dog catcher, um, the, the amount of money flowing to politicians from uh, very, very, very wealthy people is so massive that it dwarfs everything else. And now we find that it's, it's not just um, massive, it's under money, it's secretive. Um, so what is our, uh, and I have a theory for how we might reclaim agency, but it's a little, little far-fetched. You know, somebody right now might be saying, well, how does Jay know all this stuff? And I, I, I kind of want to forgotten the beginning to say that you you have 40 years experience in finance and hedge funds. So yes. you do know kind of what we were saying, like the way the sausage is made in so many ways. <laughs> uh, I had a I had a very, very um, fortunate career, fortunate for me because I got to travel a lot. Uh, and I, I, I think I've been to 70 countries wow. uh, and, uh, and I've seen a lot and that really in, and met a lot of people. And that informed uh, the book um, and, you know, frankly, the, the level of corruption that I observed in the course of my career, because as an investor, you're always trying to figure out um, who the crooks are so you can avoid them. So you really, you really have to um, get a sense for uh, the good guys and the bad guys uh, in a given um, country, in a given environment. Uh, so, yeah, I, I spent um, 40 years um, in finance, and that really informed um, what I wanted to write about when I retired, which is, you know, when I started uh, writing fiction. Well, actually, I'd, I'd love to jump on that. What, what, inspired, what inspired you to all of a sudden be like, I want to I be a novelist? <laughs> And actually, um, uh, writing fiction was my second choice. I, I really, <laughs> I really wanted to uh, learn how to paint. <laughs> and I started off, um, even before I retired, I started taking classes at GCA. Uh, and, and I loved my, uh, my cast drawing classes and my copying. <laughs> but I, I realized that um, uh, I was, pr I, so in a way, writing fiction was my second choice. Um, uh, it came easier to me than, uh, than, than making pictorial art. Uh, so I turned to that. And, um, and I haven't completely given up on um, uh, learning drawing skills. But, no, you um, can't give up on that. No, I don't want to give up. Um, 
and and I will I will get um, I will get back to it. But uh, what I did find is that I couldn't I couldn't. It was difficult to do both, um, and uh, and I had a more of a, an immediate facility for uh, for writing fiction. As it turned out, I mean, I, I got very lucky. I you know I had some good readers at the beginning. I found a great agent, then a great editor. Um, you know, all of whom, you know, beat me up repeatedly um, to revise and revise and and cut, um, which I did. But it's um, I felt I had a kind of a burning need to tell some of the stories uh, uh, that I had heard and seen over the years, because I felt that um, people need a they need a red pill about mm-hmm. what's going on in the world and how on many levels, how completely awful it is. And the connections between um, people at all levels, whether it's in the, in the military or in, uh, in science or in uh, uh, businesses or politics, these are, these are all connected. Um, all these spheres are connected by money uh, and not always um, for the good of society because every, everyone is, is, is really seeking out their own self-interest here. Um, and along the way, they're all collecting art. Yeah. <laughs> this is your first book. Was this it, was the first, yeah. Was it, the, was it something that you had to figure out? I, I know this about myself. When I see like a movie where there's an artist in the movie, like an artist depicted or in a TV show, they're like holding the palette wrong. You could tell they're not <laughs> painting. It's like really annoying. <laughs> was that something that you would see in... In, in entertainment where you're like, that's all wrong outside of say something like the big short. I don't, I mean, I, when I saw the big short, I was like fascinated. Oh my God. But is that something where you'll see entertainment or in a book and you're like, I need to write a more, even though it's fictional, I need to write a more realistic idea of how this thing might really work. Absolutely. And, um, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very pleased that um, people in, in the world of finance who have read the book, um, some of whom were early readers. So I had, I had a chance to get some help making sure I didn't get anything terribly wrong, but um, they, they see it as realistic um, and, and recognize the, you know, the activity and the characters. So it is a, it is a, uh, this is as realistic an insider view, I think, as anyone's going to get reading fiction Uh, because the, the things that happen uh, in the book are are all things that actually, sadly, have happened. Uh, and some some um, uh, some people have asked whether you know how much is real and how much is fiction. And the the good news is uh, also the bad news. Um, it's all real. Um, and, and every time I thought I had an idea, uh, and I started to research it. Um, I found out that it already happened. So one example is, you know, the, there's a part in there where the Russians and the Saudis are uh, trading oil uh, at the same time that they're pretending to negotiate uh, whether OPEC increases or decreases production. Uh, and all, all the while, they're having this very public discussion uh, and debate and argument about whether they increase or decrease production, prices of, of oil and gas are going crazy, up and down and up and down and up and down. Um, and um, I, I don't have any 
actual proof of this, but I'm uh, I'm morally certain that every time any of those events happened, uh, the the uh, participants were trading on the information and making billions of dollars, even while they're costing all of us billions of dollars because the money has to come from somewhere. Were there any authors that you were reading or other books that were inspiring? I know that when I was, you know, with undermining that I was thinking of people like, I mean, everything from like Ian Fleming to, to Tom Clancy, but there was a little bit more reality in it. That was a little bit more engaging and, and to be honest, a little bit more um, scary. Yeah. Well, you use real characters, like real people appear in the book. I mean, yeah, like P- Putin, Putin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Vladimir Putin is a character. He makes a can. And it's, it's, um, yeah, I was just rereading the the passage where Putin appears, and um, I thought I thought the way I described him in the book was as a pretty crazy um, person, but he's turned out to be a lot crazier than that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, we're all just kind of like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> it's a tough. That's just tough. But anyway, I, I kind of wanted to. Uh, there's something I've been dying to ask, and I was wondering if you know something about this. There's a couple of things. It seems to me that. Back to the art idea. It seems like the art market is like completely unregulated. And is it as unregulated as I think it is? Is there other institutions that seem to be as unregulated? What happens in the art world is illegal in other forms of business, but in the art world, it's like, no, it's uh, it's it's a Tuesday. This is how we do things. It, it's, um, I... I agree with you completely about the 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 art market is the is the last big unregulated market where everything goes. Uh, and to, to your point, um, uh, Tony, about uh, books that a question about books that influenced me. One of them, I mean, obviously, Tom Wolfe and Bonfire of the Vanities um, were and, and Norman Mailer's Harlot's Ghost. But uh, Tom Wolfe wrote a great um a great little book called The Painted Word, mm-hmm. uh, which is a stunning uh, indictment of uh, contemporary art. Uh, and, um, and I'm actually going to make much more use of that in, in the sequel. Um, but uh, I was, I, it, you know, I think about that book all the time because it describes the fact that you can completely change if you get a few influential people. You can completely change how uh, everybody sees um, uh, a market, and everybody, in this case, how everybody sees art, uh, and all of the kind of manufactured art that we've we that is now so valuable um, has kind of developed, and those markets have developed at the same time that we've seen a huge concentration in wealth. Uh, and a need for people who have wealth to acquire the prestige of not necessarily art that's, you know, emotionally engaging and beautiful, but that's expensive. So you have this whole system and it's a system that involves um, uh, uh, museums, uh, curators, uh, uh, trustees, notably trustees, uh, on these, on the the boards of these institutions, uh, it involves gallerists who are the main protagonists, and all and critics 
most importantly, and and um, uh, Tom Wolfe writes brilliantly about about that about these relationships in the painted word. But I don't think the time that he wrote, he had any idea how um, pernicious and pervasive that was going to be, and how that world would develop. And the world has developed. If you think about the, um, you know. I, not to name any names because we know what these these big galleries are, but they're essentially um, art factories. Yeah, and they're manufacturing. They're they're hiring workers. Yeah, um, these artists uh, to make stuff. In many cases, they're made in in the the works are made in factories uh, uh, because of the nature of the art. Um, then so it it's. So you, you have all this manufactured art and then you have to manufacture um, price, right? How do you convince people that it's valuable? Well, you start off with a few, uh, actually, Evan Beard has a great article about this, about the, you know, who does what to whom in the art, in the art market. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's basically a, uh, a mugs game. Uh, and one statistic, I, I have to, I don't have this on my fingertips, but if you look at the number of big shows that are uh, that are mounted at uh, major major um, cultural institutions, uh, let's say the Whitney, let's say the, um, the Museum of Modern Art, and the um, and the art that's collected by the trustees, and for all we know, the art that's collected by the um, uh, by the curators. Uh, and by the the auctioneers and and you know the I think if we actually saw the undermoney uh, here um, that's flowing, uh, it would be um, uh, it would be a stunning revelation uh, because the 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 gallerists and the trustees and the curators um, uh, and the auction houses all have an interest in pumping up the price of these. I'm going to call them assets. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's hard even, you, you know, who knows what to, what to call them. I mean, uh, it's because it's so, the, the idea is to convince, um, and I, you know, we've, we've all been in the homes of, of very wealthy people uh, and you look at the stuff on the wall and basically all they can tell you about it is what it costs. Well, it's trophy hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's if you're a, uh, you know, a hedge fund guy that, you know, wants to, uh, you know, show how erudite and sophisticated and culturally aware he is, uh, the, the best way to do it is just to drop, you know, tens of millions of dollars on a collection without regard to um, what it actually means uh, or whether anyone's going to want to look at it in a okay. hundred years. Yeah. But what's but amazing is also that the competitiveness of of them uh, of let's say use the example of hedge fund is that then there's other people who are going to want to say well I need to own one too and then they all of a sudden start bumping up that price but one of the things uh, that fascinates me the way it was in so many ways explained to me in a, in a kind of simplified way is that these people would also say I'll buy a collection of this. I own most of them. I'll send a couple into auction. We'll bump up the price an exorbitant amount. And then we'll- By bidding against by, ourselves. By our, me, my, the inve my investors, we buy it back. Now I own 
12 or 14 or whatever of these. So now they're all quadruple the price and I have all of them. That's so many ways insider trading. <laughs> well, I mean, but there's no, it's not regulated. And there was a yeah. great uh, New York Magazine piece. I might be misremembering this. So uh, hopefully we won't get sued, but they followed Bogosian <laughs> around. And it, at least in my recollection, they went to an auction and there was a late Warhol that was, he, he had somebody else bidding for the painting for him. And then he was bidding against that person. To, to just bid up the price of this. And I think it was very open. And the New York Magazine article was sort of shocked at how open he was as a gallerist about this practice, but he didn't care because it's not illegal. Like you, that's, it's totally permitted. There is no conflict of interest in the art world. And as you were saying, Jay, like people who are on boards of museums, who are, who are curators, they're not required to, you know, disclose what, uh, you know, what they're collecting and what the value of their collection is when they're, you know, proposing to put together a show of a certain artist. And so then that show adds credibility to the value of the work. Let's just explore this um, for a second, because that's, I think, exactly how it works. What what um, Ted, what you and Tony have just described. Uh, let's just say that you're you've. Um, You've identified a, you know, a um, uh, an artist uh, that you're going to promote as a as a gallerist, uh, and you put together a, a little uh, syndicate of thought leaders, opinion leaders, uh, influential people that p- other people want to follow, uh, and you all get together and you now own that artist, and you own maybe you if if there is work out there, you buy everything up. If there isn't work out there, you you have your artist create it, uh, and then as you as you say, you parcel it out, and maybe along the way you give um, a few dozen pieces out to curators, uh, to um, auctioneers, to critics. So everyone has now a position in the artist, and then the the activity that Tony described of the um, of the process of pumping up. Um, the visible prices, the auction prices, because nobody knows what anything costs. I'm not using the word what it's worth, but what it costs, um, except well, if there is an auction price. Well, right? we, could say, no- we could say it's canvas and paint and it costs this much to make. It costs a hundred dollars, you know, worth of supplies. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but we're going to sell it for a million. Well, let's, let's add in the 10 bucks an hour for the artist. <laughs> right. Unless it's in China. In which case oh, yeah. It's three. I, yeah, that's right. We got to get the container ship, which is very difficult to get now. But then uh, the container cost. But otherwise, it's, a, it's like uh-huh. a couple hundred bucks worth of materials. So you've got you've got a couple hundred bucks worth of material uh, and you got your artists either in, in you know, in the middle of uh, Ohio or or uh, or China where real estate and labor is cheap. Uh, and uh, you've got this this factory. And what you've really got to do is you've got to you know, have the opinion leaders uh, who are the, you know, the, the critics, the the the, um, the curators, the collectors all. You know, demonstrating that this is, uh, if not great art, at least a great investment. And everybody and everybody who has the opportunity should take it to buy into uh, the program. And that, I believe, is how the art uh, world, you know, what we've all just been discussing here and describing, that's, that's how the art world works today. Uh, and 
it's it's creating this um, uh, portable, uh, unregulated asset class that uh, is, you know, if you link that with uh, uh, private planes and uh, and free ports, you've got the ability to move massive amounts of money in the form of um, you know canvas and paint uh, very quickly around the world. Uh, now, converting it back into cash may be, you know, a little more complicated. But if you think that you're in your free port, you've got um, uh, a bunch of Saudis that have um, vaults and a bunch of gallerists that have vaults, you could see, you know, this, you know, this art and, and gold and, and cash moving back and forth just within these these um, these buildings. Do you think that's actually happening? Like, have you, are you aware of that? Like in, in like actual in instances of this? I mean, just out of curiosity, maybe uh, <laughs> not, who not your, specific who characters. But... Who are your sources? <laughs> and I, I could, I could tell you, but I might have to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> All the listeners of suggested yeah, donation were found you. dead. <laughs> and I would miss you. So, Well, I would assume that you do have, I mean that this isn't a secret to people who might have, you know, Uh-oh. who might be familiar with with character. I mean, with 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 players in this world. That I, I assume that's something that's yeah, that's not a secret. It's kind of common. Uh, I, I think this. I think what we're describing is is uh, has been described yeah. uh, broadly. Um, if if the dogs. Dog toy store is problematic for the recording. No. I can take away from it. It's suggested you know donations. We go, we go, we just let it go. Um, you know, I made the mistake of going to the uh, Biennale at the <laughs> um, and I, you know, I don't, I don't think I'll get sued for saying this, but there was a um, uh, a work of art there that was a an eight foot cube painted pink. And every six inches, uh, a piece of bologna had been stapled to the walls of this. Um, and oh. the moment he was starting to go rancid and drip down the sides. Wait, was this the, the person had painted on the bologna, though? No, no, there was no. No, it was just basically. Well, maybe that was another. You know, that was. That was a, I think that was another there one. Was one paint, one, there was one. There was one with actually, painted bologna. Yeah, and I actually yeah. remember one of the paintings on the bologna was. I was surprised. I, I saw a picture of something at the at the uh, at the show that looked really good, and I went to investigate, <laughs> and it turned out it was a painting on a piece of bologna, and I was. <laughs> it was so disappointing because I was like, "Oh, they're finally showing a good painting," but it on turned bologna. out. It was, yeah. <laughs> All right, sorry, um, sorry. So your bologna cube. It's not, a, it's not a good painting, at least good eating. Um, <laughs> it was done, it was done in not, not after a month or two. <laughs> uh, no, and that was that was starting to happen. Uh, you know, the, the bologna was starting to you know go rancid and the grease was dripping down the sides of this cube. Um so the, the, but I was you know following up on on your point, you know, what um it wasn't pretty. It wasn't, you know, the only the only emotional response that I think a rational response would have been anger uh, that um, this this is being put out there as some um, something that is culturally significant uh, and and meaningful and worthy of, you know, our consideration and our um, and, and and so the emotional response of anger, I think, is for me is um, I, and I wonder how many other people are feeling this when they when they walk through, particularly the Whitney. Well, I, right. I gotta, I gotta ask on on that point. 
why though, do you think the artist was really trying to make people angry? Like why, if that's the response you were getting, then why do you think that Whitney would just be, cause this is where I'm like, I mean, I can, we could say we're experts cause we're artists and everything we're in it. But then I'm like, I don't know. I'm completely dumbfounded by something like that. Well, I, you know, so <clears throat> I don't think the point is to, um, the point is not actually to make people angry. The point is to, is to sell stuff. Um, and to your other, I mean, how do you sell that? You can't sell yeah, that. How do you like, okay, so unless it's explore. like a video or an NFT, maybe there's like, an what? NFT being d- created a video of people like gagging as they enter the room. And that's, uh, that's, <laughs> that's my next art. question. That's my next question, by the way, but I got to know, I'm, I'm, I want your well, opinion. Like what, so, then what, what is this? So where I'm headed with this is, is the point that, um, people having lost agency, um, you know, when you have these <clears throat> these institutions, these you know massive buildings uh, filled with stuff, the what you're being told is it's valuable. It's valuable. I don't just mean in terms of of monetary value, but it's it's culturally significant. Uh, and you're the fool if you can't understand that. Uh, and so I think I think in large part that's what's that's what's going on. Uh, I think it's that that loss of agency and the idea that if all these wealthy, it's the emperor's new clothes, but if all these very wealthy, successful, you know, financially successful people are valuing this and building these big buildings, these big, beautiful buildings in many cases to hold it, uh, who am I, the the guy buying, you know, uh, you know, $20 ticket to say it's meaningless? Well, and then the more inscrutable, the better, right? Because it it like pushes you farther and farther out into the margins. It's the paint. It's the painted word. You've got to, you know, you got to read the you read the menu to figure out um, what it is and what it means. And and if you don't believe it, that's your problem, right? Well, that leads me to my next question, and I can't wait to hear your opinion on this. Is NFTs than cryptocurrency? Um, two, well, two different, uh, yeah, two different things. I'm sorry. Two different things. We could talk about both, but NFTs, I think are, um, an amazing scam, <laughs> just an amazing scam. And what I, what I can't figure out is that that NFT that sold ostensibly sold recently for what, $60 million. Really? But that's yeah. cryptocurrency too. And it's, I mean, they're, they're, limited ways that you can spend crypto. And so an NFT is as reasonable an asset class as any cryptocurrency, I think. And if I think that's e- what it is. Right. If, if we even believe that that really transacted at that price, you know, so right. I'm just, yeah. I, yeah. you know, maybe, maybe that didn't really happen. Maybe it was a round trip, like, okay, maybe he paid 60 million and someone paid him, you know, right. 59 million, nine, 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 nine back. Right. So he paid for this thing, but that's establishing a price for it. Uh, so I think the possibility of of, uh, uh, of criminal activity and uh, you know just pumping and dumping things is huge. But what? How can you value? How can you value something that you know with the change of you know one you know very minor changes can be replicated 
you know, in, you know, indefinitely. Anthony Wachulis could paint you a hundred dollar bill. That's very convincing as a hundred dollar bill, but it doesn't have the watermark. And I think that there is like some sort of a digital watermark that makes it yeah. one of a kind. So I think as an asset class, I mean, Jay, you talk about like being able to tuck Salvador Mundi under your arm and hop on your private jet and walk away with, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and the higher the value of these things. I mean, you don't even need to tuck anything under your arm. It's digital. It doesn't have to go to the Genova, Geneva Freeport. It's it's in like it's out there in the ether. And so I, I think as a as an asset class, it's got to be incredibly like exciting for for people to just places to park money. But I was actually at my framer recently and he was building an enormous frame for a silk screen that was a silk screen made of an NFT. And the frame was very complicated because at the top of the frame was like this little uh, like add-on. So it was a, a float frame that was rectangular, but with like a little added rectangle at the top for a monitor. And the monitor was to be plugged in. And when it was all mounted together, it was the painting with a, a monitor with like no borders, both kind of in a giant float frame. And the monitor was displaying the value, the real-time value of the NFT, which ultimately is what it's all about, right? The NFT, the artwork itself is completely irrelevant. It's about the money. It's about the value of the asset. It's not about the asset itself. Let's, uh, you know, not to quibble, but can we use the word price instead of value? Yeah. yeah. Sure. yeah. <laughs> I appreciate that distinction. Yeah. Thank I, you. I misspoke. <laughs> we're, we're trying to be like, sound smarter. And he's like, it's price. I'm like, yeah, you're, you're totally right. Yeah, 100%. But I mean, uh, it's I, ultimately, I think that's what it's about, right? It's just, it's a place to, I mean, you talk about, putting the money on the wall and being able to show that and talk about that. And that's, I mean, this is the most stripped down version of that. Yeah. I, I, you know, I agree. And I, I don't, they make no, they make no sense to me um, at all. NFTs. I think crypto, there's some, there's some place in the world for, for crypto, for mm. uh, different currencies that replace fiat currencies like the dollar and the Euro. Um, but you know, but um, but that's a that's a completely different conversation. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. And you know, and people are going to get. I think mostly people are going to get really burned before we figure out how to you know really trust crypto and trust investing in and figure out. And I mean, nobody nobody knows how many how many coins are out there, uh, how many NFTs are out there. There's no way to assess. I mean, if you want to figure out what uh, the 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 even the price of something is. Um, you have to figure out what's the universe, like how much of it is there? Because if you can expand um, uh, uh, to infinity, the number of NFTs and even take a particular image, you know, you can make, you know, very minor changes and, you know, things that are, you know, in, insignificant. And you've got now, you don't have one original, you've got a million. Right. What's the, what's the value in that? I mean, well, I think it's probably similar to, uh, let's say, like lithographs or etchings where it's a series of, you know, it, it is a limited series. And I think you're 
you're meant to know how many there are existing of this particular NFT, not of NFTs as a whole, but uh, at least that. And then the other thing that uh, at least the, the people who are most excited about NFTs like to talk about is that uh, the secondary market, which never benefits artists, it only benefits collectors, um, that there's a way to build into the NFT that every time the NFT is resold, the artist gets something like 20% of the sale. And so for an artist, I mean, at least that element of it sounds pretty attractive. I mean, for Tony and I can both tell yeah. you, like, we're terrible as, as an asset class. We're terrible because we can't, we, it takes us forever to produce anything. And then we only get paid once. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the idea that you would get paid on every resale uh, in the secondary market sounds, I mean, that, that sounds interesting. So I'm just going to put this out there. Um, Dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Why aren't you guys making NFTs? (laughs) Don't know. At least a little, maybe one or two here and there. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I was, what Ted just said is one of those elements in NFTs. I was like, that makes sense. And I actually think I'd love for that to stick around. I think that's a, I think that's a a good thing for us. And I think it's fair if people are reselling your work with your, I mean, it's your, you know, when you sell your work, it's still, it's still, you still own it, you know, in that sense that it's still your property and, so if it is being resold in auction or wherever that you should be able to, like, it should be law that you get like a part of that, you know, at least if it's being sold officially, that you should have a cut of that. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Um, you should. Um, and I think you could, you know, the, the world isn't structured that way at the moment, but maybe it will be, maybe NFTs will come back and influence yeah. uh, other, other, um, other market and other forms of art um, in that way, that would be constructive. Yeah. Well, I, you know, one of the things that the art world I was going to ask, and this is kind of going backwards, but I kind of wanted to sort of bring it back around. Like, do you feel like the artwork and NFTs and everything, is it, is it run by under money? Is that something that you would say it's, there's under money there? Yes. Yeah. Because if you think about the, the, um, so where does, where does um, the, the biggest source of under money is, cartels, illicit activity, uh, you know, drugs. Well, it's even avocados. We can talk about that too, but uh, <laughs> drugs and human trafficking. And, and um, you know, where do, where do those fast sums go? Well, they go back into the, into the, the system and then they get invested, right? So the whole idea with, you know, ill-gotten gains. I mean, is, it has to be legitimized. Like they, have, they can't just do it. And it needs to right. be laundered in so many ways. Right. Yeah. Right. It has to be laundered. And, uh, and, you know, ways, you know, it can be laundered, you know, it's so easy to launder it um, through art. Right. It's easy. I mean, real estate is, has been a, a favored vehicle. We read about all the oligarchs that own property in London and New York. Maybe that's going to be taken away. Maybe not. But, um, you know, and you think about, but then you think more broadly about the criminal cartels, like in, um, in Mexico, the Sinaloa and the Zeta beta, um, Theta, all these um, criminal organizations that um, are making vast amount of money, uh, and now they're even making money on legitimate products like avocados and limes and and tequila, right? Um, 
this this goes in a totally different direction with uh, with oligarchs and who should be sanctioned and maybe who shouldn't be. But uh, to answer your question, um, it's the undermoney is huge in art because it is unregulated. Uh, and if you show up with a maybe you can't show up on Madison Avenue uh, with a a suitcase of um, hundred dollar bills, or maybe you can, but you can certainly show up uh, in Cyprus or Malta. Uh, or the Cook Islands, uh, and it just so happens that your New York, New York gallerist uh, was on the next plane, right? And had a couple of paintings rolled up uh, in a tube. Yeah. Uh, and there, you can exchange the, you know, the the cash for the um, uh, for the art. So because Jay, he's going to know, like uh, somebody at the uh, at customs or even. Uh, whether it's customs or, or at, you know, when you're going through security and they ask you to unroll this, this thing, they're not going to know the difference. I, I painted that. Well, the Freeport, you don't even have to go through customs. <laughs> right. So, Jay. But if, but, so you go through, Tony, you do go through customs and you say, yeah. So what is that? Is My that grandmother a- painted it. Right. Exactly. It's like like the Ken Perenni book. Ken Perenni was the, you know, the famous forger who wrote this great book, Caveat Emptor. On on Picasso, Uh, right? He he was a Picasso forger? um, Well, he forged... Or he forged everybody. (laughs) He's a a fabulous forger of uh, Martin Johnson Heed. Okay. Uh, And most of the uh, British sporting art that's on on walls and museums and everywhere is his. But he never, but he never claimed it was real. He would always show up at a gallery with a, you know, with a, a paper bag and say, "I found this in the attic." <laughs> <laughs> Oldest trick in the book. <laughs> so Jay, you you said that you had kind of a, a you know, a, when you're talking about politics and and all of the under money there, that you had sort of a solution. And I'm curious, do you are you starting to get a picture of a solution for the art market or for the art world? Um, well, I think, uh, no, I don't have a solution for the art market and the art world. I, I have more of a solution for politics, um, which <clears throat> it's not directly on topic, but I'll tell you what it is. It's um, that the the way to reclaim agency in 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 politics is to vote against incumbents, because I think the uh, the longer you know people stay in office, the more beholden they are to special interests. I mean, they're beholden from the very beginning. So, I think if we all voted against incumbents, every time we have the opportunity, we turn over the political class uh, much more quickly, and it's harder to keep paying off uh, uh, all those people. So. Do you think that getting money out of out of elections is just is not possible or not desirable? Entirely? I think it becomes it's, it's a tougher it's a tougher game. I mean, when, when you've got a, a, a political an office holder who's been there for a long time, you can keep keep feeding the beast over a long period of time. And, and you know, favors flow back and forth uh, and money flows back and forth. So the longer people are there, the I think the easier it is to um, keep them bought. I think if we, if we're turning these these um, uh, elected officials over, you know, at a rapid rate, maybe every two years or every six years, depending on on the term, uh, and we're just introducing new blood all the time, uh, it creates a different kind of a market for ideas and for for people, and it also means that people can't become 
it's much harder to become a professional politician. Uh, you know, somebody who's just, you know, in there for, you know, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, of which there are way too many. Do you think term limits is ever something that we'll be able to um, implement? Uh, that, no, that's why I think you have to, we have to deal with something, uh, dealing with incumbency in a different way <clears throat> uh, by voting against incumbents, because we'll never get term limits because the people that are most affected are the people who are making the law. <laughs> They make the laws. So they're not, you know, they like, and they love this, this two-party system that keeps, um, you know, insurgent ideas out. Uh, I mean, why do we have just two parties? That's nuts. Um, As far as your experience with writing your first novel, is it something that you think you're going to continue? Like, did you enjoy it? Do you want to continue? Is it something that you all of a sudden sparked an artistic creative feeling in you that you're like, I love writing books. Yes, I am uh, very, very much. So I'm working on a sequel to uh, under money. Uh, It's um, it's called uncertainty. Uh, (laughs) Under money to the reckoning. Is that the political part? I mean, under money kind of ends with the, you know, it, it, it sets up this whole political scheme. Yeah, and uh, and this is an extension of that. So the same the same characters, um, uh, you know, at least the ones that are still around. Exactly. <laughs> uh, no spoilers, but yes, uh, <laughs> still around. Uh, you know, continue, and um, uh, you know the um, you know Greta Greta Webb, who is um, Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc, yeah. Who? Um, so it's. Um, I really, you know, I got her out of that Bastien Lepage painting. I mean, that that really is um, this character, Greta, when Joan of Arc is is floating out there and she's kind of um, hearing voices. And, the one and, at the Met, the big painting at the Met. The, yeah, right, which she Bastien confronts Lepage. in the book. Yeah. No, it's uh, that painting was very um, influential uh, to me in thinking about whenever I was thinking about who this woman is. I would think about uh, the woman in um, Bastien Lepage's painting. Um, as far as I can tell, everyone who reads the book wants to meet her. <laughs> Do you send them all to the Met to go see Bastien Lepage? <laughs> um, they, I haven't, but good idea. But every, that, I mean, but men and women, everybody wants to meet Greta. Right. Yeah. Well, meet her so, in gallery, whatever it is, in the 19th century wing. <laughs> so you are working on a, on a sequel to this. I, I think that's, that's a sequel. Awesome. And the sequel deals with um, what happens if what would happen if we had an American president that had the resources to uh, really change the political dynamic um, and also was willing to take on China, uh, because China, I think, is the biggest uh, threat to American prosperity going forward. Um, and so that's the that's what I did with there. And now I'm having to rewrite some of it. I was just thinking today about because one of the main characters is this this warlord. Uh, and I've got to figure out what he thinks of Putin. Oh, so because of real life <laughs> politics, real life situations are actually dictating your decision making and in, in the narrative. Yeah. Wow. And and also thinking, you know, I mean, I guess I could always do the, the last minute revision, which I'll probably have to, but uh, because who knows where Vladimir Putin's going to be, you know, when this book comes out in 
you know, in two years. Oh, that's, that's a actually a very or good what, point. <laughs> what he'll do between now and then. Exactly. Oh, let's hope. Exactly. Let's hope he's not around. But <laughs> um, so, are you going to also continue back to you know suggested donation? You know this art 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 centric podcast. Are you going to be? Are you going to be painting? Are you going to be taking any more classes, uh, painting, sort of continuing on your education as a artist, as a visual I artist? I will. Uh, New Year's resolution uh, is to get back to get back to drawing. Uh, yeah. So that's um, I will do that. And does art play a, a role in the in the next book as well? The, the art, yeah, art is a is a much more important character in the next book because. The, the next book deals with the, the billionaire class and the influence it outsides and in, outside influence it has on society. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, the, one of the, one of my central motifs is, is actually big, big boats that cause every, at a certain point, every, you know, every billionaire has to have a yacht and it's going to be bigger than the next guys. Uh, and those yachts are all filled with stuff, right? Let's call it, let's call it art. <laughs> uh, and, there's actually a, 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 a gallerist is one of the main characters and the uh, uh, so the, this what we've been discussing in terms of the the uh, who does what to whom in the art world is going to be a, uh, a central theme in the book. I would love it if I can just put in a, a request for the uh, the baloney cube about one year into an exist <laughs> its existence to occupy a room on a mega yacht. I'd, I'd like to hear the description of what that room smells like, looks like. <laughs> I, I wonder, I wonder who, you know, where that, where that is now. Is that in like the, in the Whitney warehouse? Like, where is that? I, I wanted to say, Hey, um, under, under money by Jay Newman is out right now. It's fascinating. Uh, I need to get my copy signed when I come to New York uh, next. Uh, hopefully you're, you'll, we'll, we'll, Soon. we'll meet. Yeah. Um, let me, uh, re- this is a under money, an electrifying thriller about a group of American operatives who secretly take over the world's largest dark money fund. Um, I right there. I'm just, I I'm all in. I love those type of books. And I, and I, and the fact that there's art peppered in there and things that we understand and know. So I feel like you're kind of talking to me. Thank you so much for coming on. This was fascinating. Thank you for just uh, giving us that inside perspective on things uh not only in the art world but in finance thank you so much jay this has been so long in the uh in the planning and i'm, I'm glad we're finally doing it and uh thank you it's just such a it's such a privilege to be here um <laughs> chatting with you guys really really fun thank you and if they ever make a movie can you put uh ted and i in it at some point oh yeah or at least a character cameos. based on us <laughs> for sure or at least we'll give you hey um Naming rights in the sequel. Why not? (laughs) (laughs) Jay, thank you so much. This was great. Yeah. Thank you, Jay. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.